when I went to pick my daughter up from school, the kids would run up to me and say, you you betrayed Han Solo. I'd go on an airplane and the airplane stewardess would say, you know, you betrayed Han Solo. Well, I got that for a lot of years. What have we here? I'll tell you what we have here. We have another episode of the Dagobah Dispatch. And not unlike a 1980s installment of Punky Brewster or Different Strokes, it is a very special episode indeed, because this week we are welcoming in our guest, none other than Star Wars legend Billy D. Williams. That's right. Lando Calrissian will be here with us. And if that's not awesome enough, I don't know what is. We will get into it with Lobot's BFF. Plus, what if another A-list star had not turned down the role of Princess Leia? We will explain all that and some big Star Wars series news coming up this week on the Dagobah Dispatch. I am Dalton Ross, coming at you without a cape, unfortunately, but here with my podcasting partner in crime, Devin Kogan. What's going on, Devin? Hello, hello. I am so excited uh, to hear this Billy D. Williams interview. I mean, he is the coolest man on the planet, arguably. I mean, those Colt 45 ads uh, back in the... If you want if you <laughs> want to just have a good time, just put on the series of Billy D. Williams' Colt 45 malt liquor ads from the 1980s, and you are just in for it. Uh, it is exciting, Devin, because, I mean, I've, I've spoken to original trilogy stars before. I've interviewed Mark Hamill a few times. I'm sure you've spoken to, to, to some of these folks from the original movies. Uh, but I think this is our first original trilogy star we've had on this podcast. Unless I'm forgetting someone. I think, I think you might be right. I think this is it. I think this is yeah. the first one. So that's nice. fun. Yeah, it's Very cool. Fun. Uh, I, I should point out, we're going to get to the Billy D. Williams uh, interview a little bit later, but uh, he has a new book coming out called What Have We Here, which is like the best title ever. And the, the cover is the best cover photo ever. It's just like him swooping around in a big cape. It's just awesome. It's so good. So uh, the book is coming out February 13th. You can pre-order it now. Uh, and it's got tons of stories, Star Wars stories that we're going to get into here, but tons of stuff from his entire career. The entire His entire book is not about Star Wars. Uh, but, you know, that's what we're going to cover here when, when I chat with Billy D. But, uh, but you can check out his book if you want more. And uh, it's been a busy time for, for both of us. Devin's been off at Sundance. Checking yep. out films uh, that are going to be hitting screens later this year, and uh, I've been, uh, re- you know, reading Billy D. Williams's book and checking out my new uh, favorite podcast, um, Wrestling Academy. It's just this—it's a weird wrestling podcast. Yeah, Devin. I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if I'm into the hosts or not. Like, they dress a lot nicer than we dress on our podcast. <laughs> Like, it's, it's a school uniform, I've heard. It's a school they uniform. They look fancy. Whoever these people are, whoever these people are doing this, I noticed that they're on the YouTube also. Like they're super fancy. Now they keep threatening to put us on the YouTube, and like then the I, I, my guess is is that they they look at me and they're like, you know what, we don't need to do that. Like let's just keep this audio only. <laughs> I think it's because you keep referring to it as the YouTube. It's They're the like, YouTube. Uh, no, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. We are we we have um, faces for radio. 
So yeah, well, at least I do. Uh, anyway, so uh, you know, but, you know, if you, if you get done with this podcast, you want to check out something. If you're into wrestling, wrestling, Academy. they haven't done a deep dive on the Heart Foundation or the Junkyard Dog or Hillbilly Jim or any of my favorites from back in the day. But maybe that's coming. Uh, let's get into some housekeeping <laughs> here quickly. Uh, as we always say, love to connect with you all. So. Drop us a line. Give us a call about anything you want. 657-799-1566. Again, that's 657-799-1566. Leave us your thoughts on anything we say here. Any questions you might have about anything Star Wars related or advice, whatever you want, or chat just to say hi. Um, We actually do have a voicemail this week. Sammy, who we got uh, checking in this week on the voicemail? Our friend Dan called in with a voicemail. He just recently spent some time at Galaxy's Edge, and he Ooh. poses an interesting question for us. Hi, this is uh, Dan, and uh, I've been listening to the podcast ever since it started, even the uh, awkward first version that didn't go on for long. Just got done going to Disney World with my family and spent a solid day at Galaxy's Edge and uh, bought a lightsaber, and I was wondering, as I took way too long to decide how, which one to spend that much money on. What, if you had only one option, what lightsaber would you buy uh, from the Star Wars universe? Uh, love with me as Thank you. All right. Let me first off, I just want to say, this is what a nice person Sammy Junio is. I'm going to kind of sell Dan out a little bit here. Sorry. So Dan, my apologies in advance for doing this, Wow. but it's so good. And Sammy was so nice. And now I'm about to undo every nice thing that Sammy just did. Cause when Dan first called, he said, Hey, just, uh, you know, I had a trip over to, to galaxy quest. Uh, and he corrected himself said, oh, galaxy's edge. But I thought that was funny. Cause first off galaxy quest is a fantastic movie. Everyone, after you got done listening to the wrestling Academy podcast, then go check out Galaxy Quest because it's amazing. But uh, but Sammy was so nice and, and corrected Dan so he wouldn't be embarrassed on our podcast. But I, I couldn't help but re-embarrass him um, just because that's the way it rolls. Um, oh, ridiculous. Listen, I love Galaxy Quest. I haven't been to Galaxy's Edge, as we know. Uh, De- Devin has been. But an uh, interesting question here, uh, Devin, I love from Dan. Uh, what's your lightsaber? If you could have any lightsaber... I don't know if you're going to judge us by the hilt, uh, by the by the color of the blade, or by the handle, or what it's going to be. But uh, what's your favorite lightsaber? So I've thought about this way too much. As someone who is an adult with adult disposable income and no children, I, I'm like, I need to buy a lightsaber. The thing is, I don't own a lightsaber. I do own swords. I do have several swords from Lord of the Rings. I have Aragorn's reforged sword, Anduril, and then I have Sting. Um, How heavy are they? How heavy are those swords? Well, so Sting is like made of just like a light material. It's like not a not a fancy one. The Anduril, the actual like Aragorn sword, it's made of steel. It's from United Cutlery, which is like if you, the sort of go-to Lord of the Rings, it's like a steak knife. Like, what is, it no, like and it's you're... like it's like full-on steel, and it's like as tall as I am. Like I had to mount it on my wall with like heavy anchors to keep it from falling down on like I don't know, slicing somebody open. Anyway, can you can you swing it? Have you swung it? Have you swung it before? Like a full swing? Of course, of course. 
That's the whole point of having a sword, Dalton. Is like so you, that sometimes, like, I can just walk around my apartment and see the sword and just be like, I'm going to pick up my sword right now. and do. But the thing is, it's really tall, and my ceilings aren't that tall in my apartment. So I can't do, like, any real, like, hack or, like, slash. Like, it kind of has to be, like, a horizontal swing because otherwise I'm just going to poke holes in my ceiling. Are, so this, I feel like, is a good cardio program. Just, like, go out Very if much you have so. a backyard or something and, like, swing a sword around for, like, 10 minutes. Are you allowed to bring swords to Renaissance fairs? Because I know you go to Renaissance fairs. Uh, you are, but they have to be peaceful. Tied, which is where they're like tied into their scabbard, so you can't like draw them. And most, and generally, like most steel has to be like encased. Um, now, every Renaissance fair is different, but the the one that I go to, the Renaissance Pleasure Fair in Southern California. <laughs> Wait, is that a porn is, fair? Wait, what? That's what it's called. <laughs> Wait, that's hold what it's on a called. second. Wow. That's what it's called. It's one of the oldest Renaissance fairs in the country. It's been around since like the 60s or 70s. Anyway, this is not <laughs> part of the. You, are, you keep taking wow. me on tangents. The point is. The point is. No, but I think the point is the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. We have stumbled. Is this like the Empire Strips Back? Is this like a crossover event? (gasps) Because I feel like that's what's happening. That's, I mean, it's a ridiculous name. It is a ridiculous name. But if you are in Irwindale, California in the spring. I will be. Trust me. Now that you told me the name of this is the Renaissance Pleasure (laughs) Fair. This is the only way we're ever going to get to California. Y'all will be there. But the point is, I have thought about this as going to Galaxy's Edge and like doing the build your own lightsaber. And I'm like, no, I, I'm so tempted by that because I think the experience would be really cool. But I also like the idea of having like one of the lightsabers from the films or like from a character I know and love. Because um, like I love the idea of building my own, but I'm like, I like the the idea of having like a canon lightsaber. I just think it's, you know, because when you're a kid, you pretend that you have Luke Skywalker's lightsaber or whatever. I think for me, if I was to answer this question, um, I think I would probably go Return of the Jedi uh, green Luke Skywalker. That's my, that's always been my favorite. I love the green. I love like the sort of like circular, like the, the way the handle has like those cool like ridges on it. Like that's always been to me like the coolest, coolest lightsaber. So so that's my answer, even though it took me like 20 minutes to say that because Dalton kept interrupting me. So when you go to the Renaissance Pleasure Fair, you get the <laughs> sense that some of the people there, probably dudes, are just there, like have the wrong idea. They're there because it's called the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. And they're just like, there's just... No, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of families, honestly, like people bring little kids and stuff. And, um, it's just like, it's just a chill day where everybody, (laughs) I mean, you don't have to get dressed up, but you can, and you like go watch some jousting and eat a turkey leg. Like it's everything you think of when you think of a Renaissance fair. Yeah. I got Sammy's Googling this for me. Uh, So I, uh, listen, I have not been a good parent in many respects, <laughs> but I definitely would not bring my children to something called the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. Like, and I actually have That's brought my, it... my kids to some sort of Renaissance situation at a castle once. Uh, I mean, it looks, the, the website makes it look a little porny. I mean, that's a little porny, right, Sammy? Like you're just crazy. a little bit. Like you're you're missing I mean, out. I'm gonna. You guys got to come visit, and I will take you to the Renaissance Pleasure Fair, and you will see what a magical, fantastic experience it is. I'm just saying, on the Renaissance Pleasure Fair website, there is a section for quote unquote special events, and I feel like that might be like a special there, section. There's like, like some performers who are a little like raunchy, but you know, it's it it's you know, but it's it's. Ugh. You're missing out. They do have a frequently asked questions. I wonder if one of the and a very well, I won't comment on the person, but I, I I do feel like that should be one of their FAQs. Like, is this adult <laughs> entertainment? 
I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, anyway, all right. So, uh, lightsabers. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, try, I could do this all day, Devin. <laughs> uh, so, originally, I was, I'm all over the map, Dan, on this one. Because originally, I was like, oh, Darth Maul, double lightsaber. Let's go lock it down. But then I started thinking more about, well, you know, Asajj Ventress, she had like the interlocking split sabers that can be a double lightsaber. And then you yeah. split apart and they're single sabers. So that's even better. Yours also like Ezra Bridger. At first he had that lightsaber with the blaster in it. And I know some like, you know, some Jedi, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, how uncivilized, you know, but a lightsaber with a blaster in it is pretty cool. And, you know, I'm actually can answer this question because I'm playing now again, the latest, you know, Star Wars video game. I played, um, the first Jedi game, now I'm playing Jedi Survivor, where you build your own lightsaber. You know, you get all these parts as you play and you can make it the color you want. So my favorite color is orange. And uh, so I made an orange blade with like an orange paint job on the, the lightsaber. It's just a lot, it's a lot of orange, right? There's, there, it, it, granted, it's a lot, it, but I feel like it also could lead to a really cool catchphrase if I showed up, be like, aren't you glad to see a Jedi? Or something like that. Like, it's like, that's my line when I show up. And it would be a, such a bad pun that all of your enemies would just kill yeah, over dead immediately. They're, they're gone. They're done. Well, they'd be laughing so hard. That's when I would kill them. So <laughs> anyway, uh, but I, I would, I, so I guess I'm not that picky. I would take any lightsaber, but some sort of like, I think Ventress, the interlocking split sabers, honestly, is, is the coolest one for me. It's pretty rad. Yeah. I also, I mean, Dooku's lightsaber with like the curved handle is like cool as hell. Yeah, I um, thought about that too. That's cool. That one, that one's just like, like there's just, it, there's so many cool ones. But I, I think I would probably go with the classic, just like Luke Skywalker Return of the Jedi. And then my problem would be I would buy that one and it would just kickstart a whole collection and then I would just buy a whole bunch more. And then I would like build my own and do a bunch of things. But I think for my first lightsaber, that's what I, you know, look, I decided last year was my 30th birthday. I told myself that all I wanted for my 30th birthday was to buy myself a sword, which is what I did. My 31st birthday is coming up. Maybe mm. it'll be lightsaber time. How much of the Renaissance Pleasure Fair conversation do you think Sammy's going to leave in the podcast? I, Sammy, <laughs> so whatever you're hearing of it, just like there's more. There was more that Sammy probably got. Yeah. I think yeah, Sammy definitely. is just, I don't even think. Sammy's paying attention. Sammy's Googling like Renaissance Pleasure Fair on like multiple devices at this point. So yeah, hey, now I'm out. using a VPN just to make sure that the. <laughs> I think the so, Wrestling Academy podcast may have just become the Renaissance Pleasure the Fair Renaissance podcast. Fair. No, okay. I have a proposal. I think you yeah. guys need to come out to California in the spring, and oh, I will take you guys to the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. That's tough to turn down. Well, because I've, actually, I've it is been. kind of fun. I've been to the Pleasure Fair. Thank you, Sammy. Where have you been? Why haven't you spoken up until just now? Because well, so I turned my mic off. <laughs> Wait, you've been to the Renaissance Pleasure Fair? I've been to the Renaissance Pleasure Fair, yeah. What? I mean, it's just what Devin's big mistake is, is she's giving she's saying the full legal name. Of, uh, that's true. No, you should just call it the Renaissance Fair. There's uh, no like extra added pleasure <laughs> just because it's in the title. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to mute for yourself. <laughs> it's it's true. It's true. Now I I think you guys should come out in the spring and we will get dressed up and go to the Renaissance Fair. They do actually have like different themed weekends, so they have like Pirate Weekend where everybody dresses up as a pirate. You do don't you, have to. But do you it's have kind to talk fun. like an but idiot? Do you have to talk like an idiot no, when you go to this thing? No. Like um, speak. 
I mean, a lot of people get drunk and are like, huzzah, but yeah, you know, that's kind of it. Go. But they do have like time travel weekend. Sure and they do. you see a lot of, you see a lot of, I've seen some Star Wars uh, costumes. You see a lot of Star mm. Trek. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, if you're like a nerd who cosplays, you just kind of go, you're probably somebody who goes to the Renaissance Fair. Yeah, and sure so does. some people are just like, I'm going to wear my whatever cosplay. Like yeah. I've seen Deadpool at the Renaissance Fair, you know. Doesn't try. So there, anyway, my point is there is some Star Wars crossover. All right. Well, um, uh, anyway, thank you for the, the call, Dan. Uh, I'm sorry for the detour that Dalton has listen, taken us on. Listen, if you've been to the Renaissance Pleasure Fair, please call us at 657-799-1566, and, and tell us if there is porn at that pair, at that pair because I think they might be pulling my leg on this one. Uh, another way you can connect with us is on Spotify. If you listen to the podcast on Spotify, we put a poll up. With each episode, last week's poll question, which Star Wars show are you most excited for in 2024? Your options were The Acolyte, Skeleton Crew, The Bad Batch, Tales of the Jedi, and Young Jedi Adventures. The results are in, Devon with 52% of the vote. The Acolyte takes first place. Uh, the Bad Batch, which we're going to talk about in just a second, was in second place with 27%. Skeleton Crew, only 11%. Percent, Devin, eleven percent. It barely beat Tales of the Jedi with nine percent, and then poor Young Jedi Adventures zero percent. Uh, apparently, Lauren Morgan did not vote in this poll. Um, but Skeleton Crew only eleven percent, Devin. Yeah, that surprised me a little bit. But I mean, I think it speaks to everybody's really hype for the Acolyte and also, you know, hype for the return of the Bad Batch. Um, so and Skeleton Crew is one of those shows that we really don't know that much about right now. So watch it may wind up being the best of all the shows on the list but i think as far as like anticipation it's kind of hard to get anticipated when uh hard to an anticipate it when um we don't know what it's uh gonna be really yeah, it's true uh, all right listen we, we talked about bad, bad batch there for a second so let's get into the big news uh, of the week here star wars news which is they have announced the uh Premiere date for the third and final season of The Bad Batch. It's going to kick off February 21st with three episodes. And then it's going to be going all the way till its series finale on May 1st. That will be the final episode. Now, not only did they announce the air date schedule or streaming date schedule, as it were, on the Disney Plus, but they gave us a poster, a cool looking poster of a helmet, and most importantly, they gave us a trailer. And in that trailer, you get, you get some Cad Bane, you get some Fennec Shan, you got some uh, some characters in there. But the, the most interesting appearance was from Asajj Ventress. Uh, now, yes. Asajj Ventress uh, perhaps may or may not have just been retconned again. Um Vet Ventress originally show, showed up in the original Clone Wars, not the not the Dave Filoni Clone Wars, but the, the 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 shorts that were on Cartoon Network even before that, and was just you know the Sith who served Count Dooku. Then you get like sort of the modern Star Wars Day canon, totally just sort of rewrote her background. She, all of a sudden now she was a Night Sister of Dathomir, and then in the book Dark Disciple. Devin, which I read, which was basically a book of some planned Clone Wars episodes that were never produced. And they then reworked into this novel, which is really quite good. 
And Asajj Ventress uh, is working with Quinlan Voss to take on Dooku. And uh, spoiler alert, in this book, uh, Ventress sacrifices herself to save Voss and is killed by Dooku. And they do this whole bring the body to, to Dathomir and she gets a burial there and all this stuff. So uh, the Bad Batch taking place after the Clone Wars, what is Asajj Ventress doing in this trailer. Now, Brad Rao, who uh, works on uh, The Bad Batch, uh, uh, gave us sort of a statement or a quote to StarWars.com where he said, we don't want to spoil anything, but want fans to know that any new storytelling with Ventress will align with the events of Star Wars Dark Disciple. So what do you make of this, Devin? It's fascinating. It's kind of a kind of a little bit of a curveball. I mean, this is a character I, I fell in love with through, you know, Clone Wars, and so I, I'm I'm never I'm never mad to have more Asajj Ventress in my life. What it says to me is perhaps that we're getting a, some sort of flashback episode, maybe. Um, you know, that's the only thing I can think of, unless like it's some night sister dark magic. You know what I mean? Like it could be that a very real possibility. Yeah, should make Lauren's husband Nick happy. Uh, that the <laughs> witches are bringing people back from the dead. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're flashing back. But it gets to what I said again, though, with Devin, like how Star Wars never kills people, and this is why speaking to the Bad it's Batch, true. why I kept saying to Lauren Morgan, in terms of tech from the Bad Batch being dead, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, yeah. meaning that they don't bring him back. And if they if if he's not actually dead, I bet somehow they in flashbacks they bring him back as well. Maybe that's tied in. Maybe Ventress and Tech are gonna be in the same episode. Maybe Tech's not gonna show up at all, but this is just I sort of feel like they don't kill anyone in Star Wars. So Ventress is back. I mean, somehow Ventress returned. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't I don't know. <laughs> well played. But yeah, I, I think well I think you can that that is one of the things about the Star Wars universe is that you can be kind of flexible with, you know, magic and timelines and force ghosts and the world between worlds and sort of bringing characters back. Um, but I it, it could be very I as a general rule, I I'm with you. I think dead characters should stay dead. Um, but uh I don't know. I, I think if it's told well and if it's a compelling story and an interesting character, we'll we'll see where it goes. And that's the hard part because Ventress is a fantastic carrier character. Yes. Um So curious what you guys think. Like, are you do you want? I mean, well, Ventress. Are you happy Ventress is coming back? Or if we know she's coming back, how do you want it to be? Do you want it to be a flashback? Do you want her not to be dead? Is it like some sort of weird ghost situation? Uh, you can give us a call at six five seven seven nine nine one five six six. Be curious. If you all have an opinion on this, uh, what it is and what you think about that. Um, all right. So Bad Batch coming back again soon. We'll have a, have you covered on that. February 21st, we'll be talking to some of the, the talent producers there here on the podcast. And uh, again, I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If you're interested in that whole transition from clones to stormtroopers and why it happened and how it happened and what happened to the clones after they were sort of decommissioned, they're telling that story on the Bad Batch. It's pretty interesting. Uh, all right. The other interesting news that came out was... Uh, Jodie Foster, you know, now in True Detective, season four, I guess, it was on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon uh, promoting her show. And he asked her about a role that she turned down uh, in a galaxy far, far away. Let's take a listen. I saw this on the internet just resurface somehow that said that you were offered the role of Princess Leia in <laughs> yeah. Star Wars. 
Is that I true? was, yeah. And they were going for younger, you know, Princess Leia. But I had um, a conflict. I was doing a Disney movie, and um, I just didn't want to pull out of the Disney movie because I had already, I was already under contract, so yeah. I didn't do it. And, you know, they did an amazing job. I don't know how good I would have been. I, I might have had different hair. You know. Yeah, you probably would have had, yeah, yeah, was that? I might have gone with a pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> so, Devin, the, the obvious question that I want to ask you is, how do you think Jodie Foster would have been as Princess Leia? I mean, Jodie Foster rules. So I think Jodie Foster would have been incredible. I think it's impossible for me to imagine Leia without Carrie Fisher. Also, again, this would have been a much younger version of Princess Leia. I think... Jodie Foster was like 14 at the time. Um, so it definitely would have been a different vibe. I wonder if it would have, you know, if, if they would have stuck with Mark Hamill, in which case I, I don't think they would have been twins. Like, it, it's just it raises a lot of like questions. Um, but I mean, look, I would be fascinated by the idea of a Jodie Foster, you know, Princess Leia. But again, I think it's that character is so, you know, tied in with with Carrie Fisher. She's so intrinsic to that role that it's Kind of, it's kind of fun to imagine, but it's impossible to to kind of imagine what that looked like. One of my favorite, you know, kind of what if castings was um, Al Pacino was in the running to play Han Solo, and the idea of Al Pacino and Jodie Foster as Han Solo and and Princess Leia is so funny to me. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it's it's funny because like I I have trouble picturing Pacino as Han Solo, but I oh, yeah. but I totally could picture. Jodie Foster, yeah. Princess Leia. She's, you know, she's super plucky. We know this character is very plucky. She could give as as strong as she gets, right? And she could do that with Han Solo. Like I could totally see the Harrison Ford, Jodie Foster sort of chemistry on screen together. So I, I mean, love Carrie Fisher. So glad it ended up being Carrie Fisher. But I could totally see Jodie Foster in this role as well. I do love the idea of like a 14, 15 year old Jodie Foster standing up to Darth Vader um, and just being like this little tiny girl and just like staring up at him and being like I, that, that to me, I would I would love to see that scene in, in A New Hope. Well, as, as she started talking about why she didn't do it, I just was doing the math in my head. And I was like, oh, no, she turned down Star Wars to do Bugsy Malone, which is what I thought at first. Yeah. And I, and I was like, and by the way, a lot of 98% of you are like, what the hell is Bugsy Malone right now? Bugsy Malone was one of my favorite movies as a kid because for some reason my dad was obsessed with it. It was Alan Parker's directorial debut and Paul Williams does the music on it. And it's a really weird movie where it's basically a gangster movie, but it's with all little kids. And they kill each other by throwing pies in each other's faces. That's how they die. <laughs> so then one of the, 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 the you know, quote unquote mobster kids they come up with like a, uh, a like a, a machine gun that shoots pies. So that did, they're just taking over the racket. And the weirdest thing about this movie, it's all little kids like Scott Bayo and Jodie Foster and all these ones. But when they start singing, it's the voices of full adults, which is really <laughs> disarming as well. But it's a great movie. And I love this movie. I was like, oh, no, she she did Bugsy Malone instead because Bugsy Malone was actually, I think, a a, a a sizable hit actually in England, but just did nothing here in the United States at all. But I don't think it, but it wasn't that it was Freaky Friday because Freaky Friday was a Disney movie. Freaky Friday yeah. and Bugsy Malone both came out in 1976, right before you know, Star Wars in 77. So Freaky Friday was like a modest success. Uh, you know, it, it made $36 million in 1977. And obviously is there's been a lot of Freaky Fridays since like Lindsay Lohan versions of, of that, that film. And, 
was you know somewhat beloved when it came out. So it was certainly no flop or anything. It did did well, made thirty six million dollars. Of course, A New Hope has made seven hundred and seventy five million dollars. So you know, uh, not quite even Steven. Yeah, it's arguably one of the most popular and successful films of all time. So it's kind of hard to draw a comparison. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, interesting stuff. An interesting sort of what if uh, situation uh, there. Okay. So it's time to get to our interview. We got to check in with the Baron administrator of Cloud City, Lando Calrissian himself. Billy D. Williams is going to join us. He has a new book coming out on February 13th called What Have We Here? You can pre-order it right now. And we're going to talk all about his adventures in a galaxy far, far away. That conversation with Billy D. Williams is coming up right after this super quick break. Our guest this week is a legend of the Star Wars franchise. He played the smoothest operator in the galaxy and the guy who blew up the second Death Star. He also uh, has a new memoir coming out on February 13th, which with an absolutely perfect title of What Have We Here? It is the caped crusader himself, Lando Calrissian, as Billy D. Williams joins us here on the podcast. How's it going, sir? I'm all right. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Now that I'm talking to you, now that I'm talking to Lando. Uh, <laughs> incredible. Um, I want to let everyone know that this book, What Have We Here, gets into your entire life and career, including your reflections and thoughts on Lady Sings the Blues, Mahogany, Brian's Song, all these incredible projects, and much more. So everyone's going to want to pick up the book to read all about it. But But this being a Star Wars podcast, obviously, that's what we're going to focus on here today. Uh, Billy, and, and and I'd love to just start and go back to the very beginning. And when you were approached about playing Lando, you get this brief character description, I guess, right? Uh, where they mentioned that Lando wore a cape. So what did that tell you about this guy as you start to picture him in your head? Well, you know, when I when I heard his name, especially his last name, Calrissian, that was a key part of creating my character. My tendency is to try to take a character or a situation and elevate it beyond the usual stereotypical cliche kind of stuff that people find themselves mired in. So I thought when I saw Calrissian, I said, my God, that's interesting. You know, Calrissian is a uh, an Armenian name. So let me do something with that. Let me play around with that idea. Well, here's a guy who's a part of the uh, universe. You know, he's out there in space. So he's obviously someone from my perspective, someone who's uh, beyond the, the, the question of uh, ethnicity. So ethnicity doesn't play a part with this character for me. Uh, and then, of course, when I saw the cape, I said, that that, that really takes it into a whole uh, other sphere. You know, I started thinking uh, Errol Flynn and uh, Douglas Fairfax Jr. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> It's interesting to hear how you say Orlando ethnicity did not really come into to the, the portrayal of the character at all. But did you feel any pressure as the guy who in many ways was integrating Star Wars on screen? Well, no, no. I, for me, it's, it's an opportunity to take an idea and make it bigger than life. You know, that, that, that's what I'm always aiming for. And the whole heroic thing with this guy, he was dubious. So which means for me, uh, it, it made the character uh, a lot more interesting. You know, the hero idea is always something intriguing for me. 
But a good hero, the best hero to me, is a hero that you're not quite sure about. He's not even quite sure about himself in uh, many ways. What was it like then? What was what kind of reaction did you get from fans on the street after they saw the movie for uh, Double Crossing Han Solo? Well, you know, when I went to pick my daughter up from school, the kids would run up to me and say, you, you betrayed Han Solo. I'd go on an airplane and the airplane stewardess would say, you know, you betrayed Han Solo. Well, I got that for a lot of years. So finally, I said, uh, look, think about the whole situation. You know, you're up against a pretty formidable character, Darth Vader. And then there's, of course, Boba Fett. And these people were invading my space. And I had to bargain with them. But the bargain, it at least prevented the complete demise of of uh, Han Solo and his friends. But I, I had to hold on to my whole situation. So I found myself you know, explaining all this stuff. Well, it's not me. It's, it's Lando Calrissian. I found myself having to explain all of this it's to a point where I finally said to people, look, tired of explaining all of this. I said, did anybody die? Nobody died. <laughs> I think that was a clear indication that I was trying to figure something out, or Lando was trying to figure something out. <laughs> and he was trying to figure out primarily to hold on to his situation without the complete demise of his friends. It's interesting. One of the things that's really, you know, to younger viewers who are watching the films now that that might not have the context of those that watched it back when it was first uh, came out, the the entire cliffhanger and you get into this book that ends Empire of Han being stuck in carbonite that Billy, was that all just because Harrison might not Ford might not return for Return of the Jedi? So they had to work out a maybe situation. that, That was what I was told, I guess. Um, I suppose that's what the whole situation was. I really don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, what I love, what I think why Lando resonates so, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it resonates, but you could make a case that this is the best, most dramatic entrance for any character in any Star Wars film on that landing platform in Cloud City. Was that the first thing you shot or was that uh, sort of later in the in filming? I, it might have been that. I think that was the first uh, scene that I shot, the introduction of Orlando. Um, as a matter of fact, I did a whole painting on that. So what was yeah. it like? I, I'm sure you want to make your mark as, as the new kid sort of with that entrance. Uh, tell me about your process of uh, that scene. For me, it was a, a, a kind of a pivotal um, classic hero dubious here hero moment yeah. so you know and i and i just wanted to make the best of it i wanted to do something really interesting with it again you know getting back to what i was saying earlier uh, before you know again i was just thinking always thinking let me do this and not make people conscious of the fact that i am a particular ethnicity uh, i didn't want that to be the focus or the focal point in introducing that character you know it was off it well it was me billy d doing what billy d does <laughs> that's why people love it that's why people love it what what was it like just in generally being the new kid in school like i said showing up on a set you know harrison carrie mark they already have this rapport with each other from making the first film uh what was it like being the new guy well i mean you know it's always you know when you're being introduced in a situation that's a, a brand new situation i mean it's Obviously, you know, trying to make an adjustment and hoping that uh, everybody can be uh, a cordial uh, 
uh, cordial uh, towards each other. And it worked out just fine. It was uh, very nice. Of course, you know, working with, I, I was very excited about working with uh, Irv Kirshner. You know, he was one of my uh, favorite directors and filmmakers for uh, many years, especially when he was in New York doing a Naked City and uh, used to do all of these wonderful small movies. So I was looking forward to that. I think that he's one of the, I mean, reasons why Empire is considered by most people to be the best Star Wars film. I mean, obviously we have new characters like you coming in and obviously uh, the story, but but Kirshner just knocks it out of the park on every scene. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, absolutely. Well, everybody, I think that's the general consensus. Well, you, another thing you get into in your book, Billy, was uh, being on this project. What was it like entering a world for the first time with all these levels of secrecy uh, going on in terms of the film you were making? Well, it, it was interesting. But, you know, I'm an old pro. I've been around a long time. So I've uh, managed to get through a lot of situations over the years. And I'm always looking forward to new experiences. And uh, that was a very, you know, working with George and the way George works uh, was uh, new and interesting. I mean, the fact that nobody knew what was going to happen from moment to moment, uh, you know, uh, it was exciting. It was very exciting for me at that time. Did you ever get a full script for the film, either before or during filming, or was it just your oh, scenes? No, 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 no. no. So would no, you try and put would you try to put it together with the other actors, like trade notes on what was going on to figure out the rest of the story? No, no, I just relied on uh, uh, Kirshner, and uh, I mean it's like working with blue screen or, or green screen. You know, you don't really see anything, but you have to you know really use your imagination. But there's enough there for you to, as an actor, to work with to uh, kind of give you. A direction what's what was it like for you then when you sat down at the premiere i assume and and watched the movie for the for the first time what was your reaction watching it for the first time yeah well i was very excited about it and uh i don't know you know it's I, it, this is how many years ago my god this is over 40 years now yeah uh, but again you know the whole idea of, I, I was obviously uh i was look i was because of Cursor and because of the kind of filmmaker he uh, was, uh, I just wanted to see what was done in terms of uh, editing. You know, when you're on set, you're involved and you're in the middle of these uh, moments. So you can't really stand back and look at the moment, obviously. So when I saw the movie put together, and I'm always interested in uh, editing, I was quite pleased. I just said to myself, this is a great movie. You were right. <laughs> it was a great movie. It's my favorite of all of the uh, movies, as a matter of fact. Mine too. Mine too. Uh, I, I, something I never knew from reading your book, uh, Billy, is that, I mean, my, my, Devin and I always talk about how we, or Return of the Jedi, we love the Jabba stuff so much. Like, that's our favorite part of that that film, is that whole first section. And that one shot of you hanging upside down above the Sarlacc pit. And you say in the book that, that your son did that shot for you, your son, Corey. Yeah, well, that was Return of the Jedi. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. In Return of the uh, Jedi, yeah. I had no idea that was your son doing a stunt shot for you. Well, he did some of it, but I did <laughs> a lot of it. But but he wasn't a stuntman. He just happened to be visiting you on set? No, no, no. I took him to Arizona. You know, uh, he and I are very, very close. And, uh, and especially in those years, 
when he was uh, younger, I took him everywhere with me. And he would stand in for me whenever I did a movie. That's awesome. What was the experience like of making Return of the Jedi? You come back now, you've got the first Star Wars film under your belt. Uh, what was it like coming back to make that one? Well, I, I was signed for a two-picture uh, deal. So, uh, I mean, I looked forward to it, obviously. Uh, listen, I made a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a, a capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of making money and being a capitalist, what about uh, when you got the call to return to this role one more time decades later for the rise of Skywalker? What was it like getting that call? Well, I was looking forward to working with J.J. Uh, Abrams. Uh, he's uh, he's a lot of fun, and uh, we've become friends. And um, so, you know, I don't know. You know, you, you, you at this stage in my life, at my age, I have sort of kind of resigned myself to not really wanting to go back to work, memorize, going through that whole process. But I had to go with this one. Yeah. You know, when they asked me to to come back, but I'm glad because working with those young people was very, very uh, a lot of fun. But certainly working with J.J. was uh, a great deal of fun for me. Well, well, the fans were super excited to have you back. I don't think we would have forgiven you uh, if you hadn't taken the, the, the part. What was your, you talk about it in the book, tell me about your training regimen to get, get back and get in shape for that, for that role. It sounds like it was pretty intense. Well, there was Dr. Golia, who was my nutritionist. There was um, Gunnar Peterson, yep. who was my trainer. And uh, that was a lot of fun, and I needed to get back to some kind of training. I spent a great deal of my time trying to bring myself back to some place where I looked pretty good, fairly good. Yeah, you look better than fairly good, Billy. You look better than fairly good, I want to tell you. At this stage, as I said, I'm 86 years old. When I did that, I think it was about 80, how old was I? 82? Somewhere around Sounds about right. So, uh, no, I mean, uh, it was great to get back into shape again and to, to be healthy. But I'm always fairly healthy, so. We always want more, though. You know, like, there's that, we always want more. There's that scene at the end of that film where Lando and the character of Jana, who's played by Naomi Aki, are, are talking, and he offers to help her find where she came from. And I remember when I watched that scene, I was like, oh, they must be setting up a Disney Plus series with the two of them. And, and I was always Yeah, excited. I think they were just, they were trying to decide whether uh, I, I should have a daughter. And uh, I don't know if they decided to follow up on that idea or not i you know i haven't heard much i haven't heard any feedback or anything about where and what direction they want to take with that yeah i think people are but wondering I, with star wars you never know everyone's related somehow it seems right in that franchise everyone's related somehow i mean it's incredible <laughs> you think about it my god it's been going over 40 years and i think it's going to continue to go on for probably another 40 years but it's a mainstay in, in all of our lives one non-star wars thing i want to talk with you about quickly because i know a lot of fans of star wars are fans of this franchise you played harvey dent in tim burton's batman and a lot of us were really excited to see you then play two-face in the next film but then uh tim burton changed directions and you write about this in your book billy tell us a little bit about how what your two-face would have been like had we gotten to see him well, I, I can't say, I can't tell you what it would have been like. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is one of my favorite actors. I thought it was, I'm always interested in seeing what he does with a character. Uh, I know that I would have been, it would have been different because I started out using, I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, of Adam Clayton Powell. 
Yes. He was a politician back in the day. Yes. And I remember him very, very well. Uh, he was a, a, a congressman for a, a district in Harlem. But he was really a very uh, handsome and uh, very dashing and uh, a man with a great charisma. And that his persona or his presence is what I had played around with for Harvey Dent. I had hoped to go further, but I think it was the franchise was bought out by Sony. So that was the end of that. So I always say you lose, you win some, you lose some, you win some. But I lost that one. <laughs> but they, it, it's, it's interesting that I came back as a cartoon character. <laughs> Lego Batman movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it's we, we I wish we could have seen it, man, because when we, when we saw that setup in the first film as Harvey Dent, we 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 said, all right, well, they, this must be the setup for Two-Face next movie. Yeah, well, I was looking forward to it. I was hoping. I, I mean, I didn't make a two-picture deal. I just made that one movie. Uh, John Peters wanted me to be in the movie. So I just did that one movie, but with the hope that I would go further with uh, the character. Last thing before I before I let you go, Billy, and I, I'm so appreciative of the time. But one of the things when I got your book that I was excited about, I'm like, is he going to talk at all about those awesome Colt 45 ads? Because for someone my age, those were like a huge cultural moment in a weird way. And I, I always, in a weird way, I think in one of the main reasons that you're thought of as this sort of quintessential, super suave ladies man is because of those Colt 45 ads, it's almost like you got the validation as a romantic leading man, not from Hollywood, but rather these, these ads, which I find fascinating. It works every time. <laughs> Don't let the smooth taste fool you. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, well, that was part of the whole persona, you know. But, of course, when I did Lady Sings of Blues and Mahogany with Diana Ross, uh, I emerged as this sort of uh, romantic figure. Uh, and I think I'm probably the first little brown-skinned boy to ever, be on, to ever become a kind of a matinee idol on the uh, movie on the screen, the big screen. So... Uh, that kind of stuff excites me because it's being innovative. It's being, it's presenting a different perspective. And I, and I love doing that kind of stuff. I mean, I get really bored and bothered when I find that there, there are people who want you to be a certain way because of old fashioned ideas. Uh, even at this stage of my life, I don't embrace old fashioned ideas. I'm always, uh, I'm like a little kid. I want to always look into, I'm like a sponge. I'm like always looking to come up, be a part of a whole new idea or perspective. All of my life, I've led a very eclectic life. That's all I know. And that's the only thing that really, really, really interests me. Well, it's why this book is so interesting, getting to hear your perspective on those early roles, like you said, and Lady Sings the Blues, then, then making everyone cry and Brian's song, making everyone tear up and then... Your take on Lando as this sort of futurist character, it's its its fascinating stuff. It makes for a fascinating read. This has been such an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. And I know everyone's going to check out what we what have we here, which is out everywhere on February 13th. Billy D. Williams, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us today. Well, I certainly appreciate it. You have a wonderful day and stay well. Our thanks to the legend, Billy D. Williams, for joining us this week. He works every time, people. And our thanks to you for taking the time to hang out with us. We would love it if you could please follow the podcast, rate it, write us a nice review, all that good stuff. You can also leave us a voicemail message at any time about anything you want. 
Just call us and say what you got to say at 657-799-1566 and you can be part of the show. You can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross and at Devin Kogan. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch Podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.